If you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 1 as we continue our study of this great book, Ephesians 1. And I just, I want to say what I said last week, because of uh, we're not being able to do Sunday school for children, there's uh, more children maybe in the service than normal. I'm glad you're here. Um, uh, It was in a church service uh, when I was very young that God brought me to, um, to, to, to see that I was called to ministry. I was a seven year old fidgeting, probably driving my mother crazy. I am not worried about a few children making a little bit of extra noise. I am more nervous that adults will be half asleep. And that's my bigger concern. And uh, so if there's a little bit of noise, that's fine. The reality is, folks, if the gospel can't work in the chaos of a family, it doesn't work. And so we're glad we're here. It's important to be here. It's important to be here together. And again, I think those of you who are uh, on live stream now, I'm grateful that you're on and looking at God's word together. One of my contentions, um, just looking at my own life, but also I know some of you fairly well, is one of my deepest concerns for each of you is that you are trying to find security in something other than Jesus Christ. I had three kids. Um, one of my children got attached to his blankie, to his blanket. Now it was cute when they were two. Mikey, he would carry around this blanket. Man, he, he couldn't sleep without the blanket. He'd walk around the house with this blanket. We tried to dislodge the blanket from him. That didn't go too well. We tried to do all kinds of things with it. And he just kept holding on to it. And what was crazy is, as he got older, this was a little bit more embarrassing when we have guests to the house, the blanket began to disintegrate, okay? It was the nastiest blanket in the world. And eventually it just disintegrated, so it was just like a piece this, this big, right? But he would, he would still hold that thing, walk around with it. It was his security blanket. And the reality is, I think all of us are tempted to be holding on to something as silly as a security blanket instead of holding on to Jesus Christ. Oh, we put our hope in our jobs. We put our hope in our kids. We put our hope in our spouses. We put our hope in this person we think will become our spouse. We put our hope in our economic situation and all kinds of other things. And none of those things can actually provide real security. And while I I hate the fact that we're in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis, the reality is it's sort of helpful to us when we have an unstable world to realize this is the way it is. And unless we root our security in Christ plus nothing else, there's no way for you to have long-term Consistent, comprehensive security at all. And this is what the verses in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, uh, help us to see. And so what I want us to see this morning, I want to give you from the text three spiritual truths to help you uh, provide security for your life. Three spiritual truths, three spiritual realities three spiritual aspects of your new identity in Christ that can and will provide security if you believe them. Let's look at verse 13. It says, in him you also, this is the first 
the, the first spiritual truth. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. What Paul is describing here in this text is that the spiritual blessings he's talking about, which he's begun in verse 3, all of these blessings are only a benefit to those who actually believe in Jesus Christ. And notice what he says in verse 13. In him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth. In other words, to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to hear the words of the Bible. You have to hear God's word in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to hear it. And that word hear doesn't simply mean I heard some words. It means I hear and I begin to understand. I begin to understand that I'm a sinner. I begin to understand that Jesus provided a way out of my sin. And so I heard the word of truth. And then he goes on to say, you heard the word of truth, which was the gospel of your salvation. In other words, the word of truth, the Bible tells us the good news of our salvation. And what is that good news? Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He rose again for our sins. That's the good news that we hear and understand when God helps us through his word, understand how to obtain salvation. And then finally, he says... In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, you heard and understood this was the gospel of your salvation and you believed in him. What Paul is saying here is how we acquire our salvation is when we put our faith and confidence in Christ alone in the the gospel of salvation. He died, was buried and rose again. When we believe in who Jesus is and what he did for us, that is the way we receive the gift of salvation. And what I think this means for us in this first spiritual truth here is you've got to look to Jesus for your security. The security that you you have as a believer does not come from you. It doesn't come from anything else in the world. It comes from him, from this word of truth that, that contains the gospel of your salvation. And you believe in him. You believe in what he did. You believe in what he accomplished. And when you do that and and receive this gift of salvation from the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, you believe in what he did, you are now secure because you have been saved by grace through Jesus Christ. Now, my concern for myself and my concern for you is that we don't always look to Jesus to be that security. You're looking at other things. You're looking at your job. You're looking at your family. You're looking at your economic situation. You're looking at your academic pursuits or your athletic pursuits or your musical pursuits. All these other things are where you're getting your security. Your security comes only through Jesus. When you look to Jesus, that is your security because you become a Christian when you believe in what he did. And my other concern for some of you is that you... (laughs) begin to be insecure in your faith because you start looking at yourself and how you're performing as a Christian to get your security and that will not work. I know some of you are like this. I get this way. You start looking into your life and say, how have I been doing this week? You look in your life and say, man, I'm really, I really had a bad week spiritually. And all of a sudden you lose a sense of, of the security you have because you're not looking to Jesus whom you believed in. You're not looking at the gospel of salvation. You're looking into your own life. You're looking to see if you have enough goodness or if you have enough good performance this week to validate that you're a child of God. And I'm telling you, that is a dead end. 
Why is it a dead end? We just had a confession of sin. Did you hear that? We do it every week. Why do we do that every week? Because we assume that you and, and I are going to sin throughout the week and we need forgiveness. We need, we need to be reminded that we are forgiven by, by, by God. We need to agree with God that our performance did not measure up, but we, re, we hear again the promise of pardon that we've been saved by grace, not through our performance. Now, I know some of you, some of you theologian types, you will tell me right now. So you're already thinking about it. Maybe you're already constructing an email if you're at home. What about all those other verses in the Bible that seem to say, if I don't get my act together, I have no security? There's a verse in Colossians 1 that talks about you're in Christ, you've been saved by grace, uh, if you continue, right? Or what about the verse that says, you you know, make sure you make your election sure, right? And then you've got about nine other verses in the New Testament where you'll say, wait a minute, if I foul up so badly in the Christian life, have I any right to believe I'm still secure? And I would say those verses, in my opinion, those verses are certainly warnings to believers, warnings to say you need to continue on in your faith. You need to endure. You need to look at your life and deal with the sin in your life by the grace of God. But those verses are designed to motivate you to continue to pursue Christ, to warn you of the danger of not continuing to pursue Christ because that will be spiritually destructive for you. But I don't think those verses are trying to get you to sort of have this contemplation of your navel every other minute of every other day, wondering if you show enough good progress in the Christian faith to confirm that you're a child of God. Because the reality is, if you're looking at your own performance to know whether or not you're good enough or that you can claim to be secure in Christ, you're never going to have security if you're honest with yourself. What Paul is saying here, as he has this section on security through these three spiritual truths, the first spiritual truth is that you must look to Jesus for your security. We heard and understood the word of truth. This was the gospel of our salvation. It had everything to do with what God did. It had nothing to do with what we did. We simply believed in who Christ was and what he did for us. And that is the basis, the foundational basis of our security in Christ comes from the promise of God and whether or not we have trusted that promise. The issue is not how strong your faith is 24-7. The issue is how strong is the object of your faith. And when you're object of your faith is Jesus Christ plus nothing else, you receive salvation, and that is the foundational basis of the fact that you're secure in Jesus Christ. Appreciate Robert Murray McShane. Many of you use his Bible reading plan. He would say for a believer in Jesus Christ, when you fall into sin, when you fall to victim to some temptation, when you, you're not getting it right, take a look at your sin, he says, for sure. But make sure you take 10 looks to Jesus Christ. Anything short of that, you will never have security because our security is in Jesus. And this first spiritual truth to provide security for your life is look to Jesus for your security plus nothing else. Now let's look at the second spiritual truth. Second spiritual truth, we see it in Uh, Verse 14, again, he's just described that our security is in Christ through the word of truth, through the gospel. We believed in him. And at the end of verse 13, it says this, we were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit. The second spiritual truth that you need to get, we need to, all need to get a handle on is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit sealed us. And I would say it this way. You are protected and authenticated by the Spirit of God as a child of God. You are protected and authenticated by the Spirit of God as a child of God. You see, the text here says we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That word seal would have referred to in sort of secular usage. It would would apply to a wax seal that was placed on a document that did one of two things. On the one hand, it would, it would protect the document, right? So that it would be sealed with wax so that you would know that it was not opened. It would protect it. The other part was used when you put a seal on a document, it would authenticate the document as real, as genuine, much like a notary public would do today. What the text is saying is when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit seals us, he protects us and authenticates us, and we are now the child of God, fully protected by that Spirit, fully authenticated by God, by the Spirit, that we are children of God. In fact, the Spirit of God lives inside us. The very person of the Godhead lives inside us by the Holy Spirit, and he authenticates us and protects us and makes us, in a very real sense, a child of God. And that action by the Spirit of God in protecting and authenticating us is something we receive by grace. We don't earn it. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't perform for it. It's, it's, a, it's a gift of grace, and we need to believe it. Since the Spirit of God seals you and authenticates you and, 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 and protects you, you, you need to rest in this security. You are completely secure by grace. You can't undo this if you've come to faith in Christ. I want you to turn to Romans 8 real quick. I'm going to see this, another interesting part of this sealing work of the Spirit that occurs at the moment of salvation. But in the book of Romans, it's interesting what we see here in Romans 8.15. You can turn there. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now notice verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, we are sealed. We are authenticated as a child of God. The spirit comes to live inside us. And then every moment of every day, the spirit is trying to communicate to our spirit. Yes, you're a child of God. You're mine. You're God's. He basically wants to take the sealing that happened at the moment of salvation and make sure that's a present reality in your life. He doesn't want you simply to believe intellectually this reality, the second truth that we're protected and and authenticated by the Spirit of God. He wants you to make it part of your experience, part of how you actually view your life. You're a child of God. And, and, And you're protected in that, and you're authenticated by that, and the Spirit of God continues to remind you that you are sealed by God in daily life. And the question for us is, is that your experience? Do you sense I am a child of God? Do do you believe that you're a child of God? Do you operate as if you're a child of God? Because everything else in this world and everything Satan will try to do to you is to get you to doubt that you are God's child. 
Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. What does he do? He accuses you. He says, you can't be a child of God and do that. You can't be a child of God. And look at your devotional life. You're a disaster. You can't be a child of God. Look at what you did. What you, look at what you did 10 years ago. What, look at what you just did now. Reality is, you are protected and authenticated by the Spirit of God as a child of God that's given to you by grace. And the Holy Spirit continues as he works in your life, is reminding you of this regularly because he wants to give you a deep sense of spiritual security that you're a child of God and nothing can change that. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what temptations you may fall into, he's trying to remind you all the time, you are a child of God, protected, sealed. And nobody can undo that, not even yourself. The reality of this, and the reality of all of the spiritual blessings we've been looking at since the last last three weeks, is all of these realities are things we need to believe, yes, But Jesus says, God doesn't just want us to believe these realities. He wants to live in these realities. He wants to experience these realities. Now, I don't want to try to preach next week's sermon, particularly because I'm not preaching next week's sermon. Andrew Zakari is going to be preaching next week on on Paul's prayer at the end of uh, Ephesians 1. I'll be doing the second part of the prayer a week later. It's interesting that in Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers, he's basically asking God to do in real time what has already been true of them. He's asking in his prayer that the Spirit of God would reveal to us what is really true of us so that it can be something we don't just intellectually believe, but it's something we actually experience and live out of this new identity in real time. And I think part of our problem in the Christian life is we spend a lot of time focused on what we're going to do. We're going to read more. You know, when you get, get excited about Christ, I'm going to read more. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to more sermons. I'm going to, I'm going to do this ministry and do that. And we've got a big checklist of how we're going to change our lives. And maybe the fundamental thing for a lot of you is stop trying to work your way into being a child of God. What you need to do first and foremost is simply believe and live out of this reality. Let the spirit sealing work become the way you think about yourself. And the way you experience it. Ask God, we'll talk about this next week. Ask God by his spirit to show you and, 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 and to explode these realities into your life so it becomes part of your experience. Not simply what you believe or, what, or not simply what you may believe on Sunday mornings, but you don't believe this on Monday afternoon. If you read many of the great heroes of the faith, human beings, they will talk about these times in their life when God would sort of, by his spirit, show them a a, a more complete focus and a more complete uh, comprehensive understanding of who they were in Christ. I'm going to read to you one of the Puritans, uh, Thomas Goodwin. Because this is what I want us all to experience. Thomas Goodwin, uh, he wrote this. He said, there is a light that cometh and overpowereth a man's soul and assureth him that God is his and he is God's. <laughs> well, what he's talking about is the spirit of God making the sealing work of the spirit a reality in this man's life. So they assures him that God is his and he is God's and that God loves him from everlasting. 
It is a light, he says, that almost seems to go beyond the light of ordinary faith. He goes on to say, this is the next thing to heaven. You almost have no more. You, 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 you have the biggest and the greatest experience which a Christian can have in this world, which is to know that you are his and he, and, and he is yours and you're his child. And nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can, can thwart that, not even yourself. Do you believe that? Well, you need to come next week if you struggle to believe that, to have a pathway through prayer to begin to believe that more deeply. That's the second reality. There's a third reality. And that is this. Your future inheritance is secured by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, he says, who the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What the text is saying is we get the Holy Spirit when we trust Christ. The Holy Spirit's living inside of us. The Holy Spirit has sealed us and protected us and and continues to try to help us understand that sealing work that he's already done by bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. But also the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. What the text is saying here is that the Holy Spirit is a secure down payment. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit and he sealed us and protected us as a child of God, that experience of the Holy Spirit, that reality of the Holy Spirit is the secure down payment that assures us that our future inheritance is going to happen. I think what we need to understand, and, and the book of Ephesians is filled with this, we'll get to all of these, but when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you spiritually participate in the death of Christ, right? Jesus died to sin, you died to sin. Jesus is raised up to new life, you're raised up to new life. Jesus has ascended, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father where he rules the world on the throne of God at the right hand of the Father. You share in that power uh, by virtue of being in Christ. And, and that's why it says we're blessed in the spiritual, uh, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. But what it also means as the future inheritance that Christ is going to experience, where he will rule and reign over the new world, where every part of the universe is put back together again. When, 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 when all evil and injustice and death and sickness and all of the experience of sin is completely eradicated and Jesus Christ in him puts together the world together and he, he rules and reigns uh, completely and consistently over everything thing in the universe. That's Christ's inheritance. And because we are in Christ, we share in that inheritance. It's ours too, because we're in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is this secured down payment. We have the spirit now. So in some sense, we have part of our inheritance, but that down payment of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that the future inheritance that Jesus Christ will have is what we will have as well because we share in that inheritance in Christ. And my concern for us is that we don't live in light of this reality and it's a little bit of a ho-hum. 
I get all excited. You know, we've got an inheritance. The world's going to be rejuvenated and and remade and redeemed. And we're going to be there. And there's not going to be any sin. And there's not going to be any sickness and death. And we're going to rule and reign with Christ. He reigns, will reign as well. We're going to have things to do. But I know when I was young and I heard teaching about heaven, I was kind of like, who wants to go to heaven? Because the way it was pictured for me was... People in harps, nothing against harp players, but on clouds in disembodied spirits, it sounded boring. But the reality is it's the most exciting thing in the world to live in a world where we have real community with people not tainted by sin and personal conflict. To live in a real world where we'll never have to say goodbye to our loved ones and our friends. To live in a new world where, where, where we will have a job to do and a job that isn't infected by the curse that, that makes all work difficult. We've got this amazing inheritance and we kind of act like, well, you know, yeah, that's nice. It's crazy. I'll tell you a story to illustrate this. I was, uh, I was 12 years old. I was in sixth grade. My, my sister was in third grade. My parents picked me up uh, after school, picked up both of us from our school on a Friday afternoon, three o'clock, and informed us that they had to go to, watch, uh, to, go to look at a retreat center north of Miami. I was in Miami, Florida at the time. And I was, you know, being the good son that I was, I complained incessantly about this intrusion into my schedule for Friday night. You have kids like that? Uh, that's I was doing that. We drive about an hour north of uh, Miami, and we still haven't found the retreat center. And I'm now asking lots of questions. What in the world are we doing? Where is this place? My dad gives me the name of a city. I ask for a map. Kids, a map is a paper picture of, right? Those of you who don't know what that is. I begin to look at the map and we get closer to the city that my dad named. And then we go past that and we continue to drive and drive. And I keep asking, where is this? We had an exit that was near the city you said we were going to, but we keep driving. It's now two and a half hours in the car. My sister and I are doing the sibling rivalry thing. That's not going too well. We try to put an imaginary line in the back seat. That hasn't worked. There's been a violation of, of, uh, you know, territorial infringements on both sides. And I'm getting frustrated. I continue to look at the map. We are way far north of the city my dad said we're going to. And all of a sudden, a thought came to my mind. Maybe we're not going to the retreat center. I began to study the map a little closely. I said, well, there's Orlando's north. It's another two and a half hours north. Could my parents be secretly surprising us with a trip to Disney World? And I quickly said, no. Not these parents. We kept driving. I finally asked my dad, are we staying in Orlando tonight? Trying to question him. He looks at my mom in a funny way and said, no, 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 we're not staying in Orlando tonight. But he didn't deny that we weren't staying somewhere tonight up north. I looked at other cities and named other cities. We weren't staying in those cities. I named Kissimmee, Kissimmee. Are we staying in Kissimmee, Florida? And he said, yes. And then I started to dawn on me, my parents are taking me to Disney World. And I just straight out asked, are we going to Disney World tomorrow? Yes. And my sister and I, we forgot about the hostilities of the last three hours and screamed for 10 minutes. We're going to Disney World. My parents are the greatest. 
We're going to Disney World. And we got to Kissimmee and we got into the hotel. I could hardly sleep because all I could think about, tomorrow I'm going to ride Space Mountain. And we got up early the next morning. We were one of the first people in the park. And we were there going down Main Street and there's the castle. We're on the right side. The ropes are up. And when the ropes went down to open the park, we ran as fast as we could to Space Mountain. We weren't the fastest family, but we were number seven, eight, nine, and ten. Now think about this absurdity. I am freaked out with almost hyperactive joy because I found out I'm going to Disney World in the morning. I'm freaked out because I I can hardly sleep because I'm going to go to Disney World and ride Space Mountain. And yet... God says to me that the Spirit of God has come to live inside you. He sealed you, protected you, authenticated you as a child of God. You can't undo that. And the Spirit living inside me is a down payment that promises that in the next world, I will rule and reign with Christ in a brand new world, free from sin, no injustice, massive community, things to do, seeing Jesus face to face. And I kind of go, well, you know, that's good. When, when, when are we going to Space Mountain? You see the insanity of this? We have the most amazing, fantastic future given to us by grace. We are on our way to live in a world that, 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 that we, we often wish this world was like. We wish there was more justice. We wish there was more love. We wish there was more righteousness. We wish there was more community. We wish there was more, more, more fun and, and, and engagement with people free from the sickness and death and all the things that make this life difficult. We have this amazing future. It's totally secure. And we have people... Christians, like myself, who frankly are more excited about Space Mountain, an overrated roller coaster in the dark, that if it was in the open and light, it would be seen to be not that great. And I'm more excited about that as a believer than I have ever been about the inheritance that awaits me that is completely secure, that can't be undone by any horrible circumstance in this world. Even my own sin cannot derail me from having that inheritance in its mind. I want us to go back to Romans 8 that sort of amplifies what we're talking about. Romans 8, we looked at it before, Romans 8, 16 and 17. You think about this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Yes, he's trying to help us believe the sealing work he's already done, the protective work he's already done. Then in verse 17, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In other words, being a child of God, being authenticated as a child of God, means we're also an heir. We share in the inheritance with Christ. And with our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Now here's an interesting phrase. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Interesting phrase. You're a child. You're an heir. An heir of God. A fellow heir of Christ. Glory's on its way. But in the meantime, there's going to be some suffering. And we don't like that part of it. 
let me go back to my little Disney World story. Yes, I rode Space Mountain. It was great. We rode it twice. We went to the Hall of Presidents. We went to the Country Bear Jamboree. But I got outvoted by my family. We also had to ride It's a Small World. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to see a bunch of dolls and a bunch of, you know, from all over the world and that crazy song they sing, you know, it's a small world. But the problem with that ride was the ride malfunctioned while we were in the belly of this ride and the beast in the middle of the ride. And for 45 minutes, we were stuck in our little boat. I still have nightmares about this. I can still... It's a small world after all. It, da, 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 you know, and then it goes on. Da, 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 da. It's horrific after 45 minutes. It was bad, okay? I've actually had a few nightmares about that, being trapped in there and never getting out. But that didn't take away from the glory of my parents surprising me with the Magic Kingdom for eight, eight, nine hours. See, this is one of our problems. Because we're not fixated with this incredible future that we have, our present sufferings become almost, almost unbearable. Because we have no sense that, that the sufferings will end. We have no sense that these sufferings are temporary, but the glory that awaits us is forever. And because we can't make that comparison, we end up forfeiting the joy, contentment, and security that could be ours because our eyes are not fixated on our future. We're simply fixated on the present world, which is a disaster for security and suffering. Randy Alcorn has written a great book on heaven, which I encourage you to read if you want to get a better understanding of that future inheritance. I think he's quoting here uh, C.S. Lewis. He says, most of it find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except in so far as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. And one reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education is fixed, uh, fixes our minds on this world only. I think for a lot of us, we need to contemplate this inheritance every morning you wake up. You're not just living for what you see here in this world. You're living for something that is amazing. It's, it's grand. It's glorious. But if you, can't, if you don't think about that, if you don't fix your gaze on it, if you're not desiring that, how do you put up with a broken world that can never deliver on security at any level? I think if we're honest with ourselves... The problem is we don't want that future inheritance all that much because we've got these other things in the world that delight us. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. We fool around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at at sea. We are far too easily pleased. My friends, in a broken world that cannot provide any level of security, 
if we could wrap our heads around and our hearts around the idea that look to Jesus because that's the only thing where you can find security. He saved you by grace. It was what he did, not what you did. If you could believe that you are sealed and authenticated as a child of God, when you came to Christ, God poured out his spirit into your life. He seals you and protects you. You cannot undo that. And nothing else can undo that. And you need to live in light of that security. And then that same Holy Spirit who seals and protects has, has, is the down payment that guarantees this future glorious ruling and reigning with Christ. We have to fixate on it. We have to believe it. It has to become what we hope for, what we long for. We have to train our hearts to stop trying to find hope and security in this world and find hope and secure in this infinite joy that is going to be ours, ruling and reigning in a brand new universe that's beautiful and glorious, free from sin, sickness, and disease. And that's where we're headed. So let me pray for us that we can grab hold of these realities in a deeper way this morning. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you that in your word you tell us about these spiritual truths. Our security can only be found in Christ. We were sealed and protected by the spirit of God. He authenticated and made us a child of God. That cannot be undone. And that that same Holy Spirit is the down payment of a future and glorious inheritance. I pray that we wouldn't simply look at these intellectually. I pray that we wouldn't simply sort of read them over as sort of a list. I pray that they would become the fundamental way we would view ourselves and to view our God. I pray that they would form and reform our desires and recalibrate our desires so that we are desiring these realities that are already ours. I pray that you would help us to recalibrate our hope and dreams, that we would get our eyes off the things that we're trying to secure us in this world, our little, our little security blankets that are being unraveled even as we hold even tighter to them and help our eyes be focused on these three realities that you've given to us. May they mark us May they change us. May we believe them. May we live in them. May we experience them in a real way. And may they give us the security in Christ that we need to have to serve you in a very, very unstable world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.